Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is August 23rd, and I'm your healthcare show host, Christine Hargis. I have healthcare contributor Todd Campbell on the line. Todd, what's on your mind today? Uh, my fingers are tired from writing, I'm sorry, my mea culpa, for uh, <laughs> in preparation of today's episode. As part of your notes, yeah, that'll be just about every line. So, listeners, if you are just tuning in for the first time this week, Todd is joining me for the continuation of a theme week that we're doing on Industry Focus called We Said What? Where we reflect on some times in which we were just plain wrong on the show. And hopefully we can all learn from our mistakes because let's admit it, we are not perfect. No, and you know, I think any investor that's been investing for a while recognizes that uh, mistakes are are common, and they can be wonderful teaching moments. So let's <laughs> let's keep that in mind as we go through. Exactly. So we'll have a clip where I said something that was wrong, <laughs> and then at the end of the show, or the second half of the show, we'll go over to one that Todd picked out for a prediction of his that was not quite on the target. So to kick things off, here is a clip from our October 28th, 2015 show. The show is called Walgreens Shows Its Hand, Scoops Up Rite Aid. As you mentioned, one of the big questions that's still left here is, will this deal be allowed to go through Mm -hmm. by the FTC, which, of course, wants to prevent this kind of monopolization, or in this case, it would be a duopoly, of the retail pharmacy business. And now, traditionally, the FTC doesn't like duopolies, and they will shut that kind of thing down. However, it's my suspicion that, given this push towards lower drug prices, Mm I bet the FTC would let it go because of that particular point. And if they can say, hey, this is bringing down this exorbitant cost that drugs are taking on Americans, then maybe it could be a good thing. And they would rather have that than shut down the duopoly. So, that was my speculation. Uh, For some context, the original deal that we were talking about was for $9.7 billion. It was announced in October 2015 that Walgreens would acquire Rite Aid for about $9 a share, actually exactly $9 a share. And that was later revised down to about $6.50 to $7. It all depended on how many stores were divested. For some additional context here, these are the two major retail pharmacy players in the United States. And and therefore, the FTC didn't want the uh, the type of power consolidation that could be involved with this deal. That's why there was the first revision of the plan. And eventually, we found out in uh, June 29th of this year that the entire deal had fallen through. And the original FTC decision had been scheduled for July 7th, but uh, Walgreens ended up saying, you know what, they're they're just not going to approve this, so we're going to offer up a new deal to acquire just about half of Rite Aid stores, which is a heck of a lot smaller than the original deal. And that's where we stand now. We had more details about this new version of the deal on the episode that we did on July 5th, but there is no getting around the fact that back in October, October of 2015, I was just totally off the mark saying that the FTC would let this deal go through. 
You were just hopeful. You were hopeful. You know, there's nothing wrong with hopeful. I mean, yes, you were optimistic, right? As sometimes investors, we as investors get optimistic and we connected some dots. And the dots were that, you know, it, it, with, the, with the push to try and, and drive down prices that maybe they would let this go through. The reality is, however, that the, there's no denying that the pharmacy marketplace has gotten very consolidated since 2000, right? You've got just a handful of players who dominate that market. You've got Walgreens, you've got CVS, and you've got Rite Aid. So combining Walgreens and Rite Aid together, okay, yeah, that would have created a behemoth in the space. And theoretically, that could have um, eliminated competition uh, in certain local markets to the point where you know they weren't going to get this deal approved. Shares in Rite Aid, Christine, have been absolutely pummeled uh, on the news of the revised, the new revised deal. Yeah, they fell and 26%. I'm curious to, if, to put you on the spot again <laughs> for next year's episode. Oh, great. <laughs> and and see if you have any thoughts you know, for, for Rite Aid from here, will, will this deal get through? Yeah, so I'm really hesitant to speculate again on it, but it's really hard not to do because watching what has happened to Rite Aid shares over the past 22 months, I think that's the right number, since uh, Walgreens started talking to the FTC about potentially scooping up some or all of Rite Aid, it is fascinating. Rite Aid shares are down to about one third of the level that they were before this deal was ever announced. I mean, they're they're down seventy three percent just since the beginning of this year. Right now, they're hovering around two dollars and twenty five cents a share. If you recall, the original deal was for nine dollars per Rite Aid share. So the market has just completely crippled Rite Aid. And right, it's- Christine, just to jump in for one quick second because I don't want I don't want to forget this point. What's interesting, too, to think about in, in that original deal, if you include debt, that deal was worth over $17 billion. So Walgreens was willing to pay, including debt, $17 billion to get its hands on Rite Aid. Now, you know, what's Rite Aid's market cap now? Uh, it's Probably $2.34 billion. $2.34 billion, and they still have half their stores, and they still have their pharmacy benefit manager. So... You know, I wonder if there's a little bit of a disconnect, and maybe that's the uncertainty, right? The uncertainty is that we don't know whether or not the deal will close, and if it doesn't close, then you still got Rite Aid as a relatively troubled and highly indebted company. Yeah, they have $7.2 billion in debt. And I think, actually, I have learned from being wrong the first time about this, because I'm so intrigued by Rite Aid as a value play right now, but I haven't bought any shares. And I think that that actually is the hesitation of, I was wrong about whether or not the FTC would let this go through once. I could be wrong again, even though right now, sitting here looking at it, I do, I'm just going to say, I do think that this will go through. And even if not, I think that Rite Aid is grossly undervalued. But that being said, I still haven't put my money behind it because I think I'm looking at this like, well, you know, I, I understood the situation incorrectly the first time around. And so I'm going to try to learn from that and say deals are not done deals until they go through. It's dangerous to try to grab an arbitrage opportunity, especially because if you look at what happens when these deals fall through, the stocks are absolutely crushed. And while it doesn't look like to me Rite Aid has farther that it could really fall just based on the value of the business alone, it could. And who am I to say that it won't? Right. Is this a falling knife or or a value trap? Or is this truly a bargain bin buy? I mean, that's the big question. I had a mentor uh, back in the 90s, Christine, 
And one of the things that I learned from that mentor was that don't worry too much about, you know, the bottom 10% of a move or the top 10% of the move. Focus your attention on that 80% in the middle. So I don't think that, I think that investors should, should basically take a step back and say, okay, I don't need to be perfect in timing my entry and trying to get the bottom. Why don't I let and see this play out a little bit? Because it's likely that if it does close, there will be opportunities for me to benefit and make that 80% of the move uh, afterwards, rather than trying to be a hero, if you will, and stepping up into the uncertainty. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And for investors looking to do that here, take a look at the value of the stores. Consider that Walgreens will be able to cherry pick the ones that it wants. Also consider that the way in which it will cherry pick them will have a lot to do with what the FTC says it's allowed to choose as far as its geographical footprint goes. Um, and also look at its its PBM. Rite Aid has Envision RX, its pharmacy benefits manager. That's a whole other part of this business that doesn't really get talked about a lot. And I suspect the value of that isn't really being considered in the full market cap of this company. But also, yeah, Christine, just to jump in again on that point because it's a good one. You know, I did a, I crunched some numbers on that not that long ago in an article I posted on on the Motley Fool, and uh, one of the things that the conclusions I came to is that as a standalone company, that Envision RX could be worth uh, anywhere between 2.4 and, and 4 billion on its own, which is intriguing. Yeah, I will. I don't think I read that one yet, so I will definitely go head to the site and look for it. If anyone listening wants to read it, shoot us an email at industryfocusatfool.com, and I will dig it up and send it along for you. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, Todd, I'm going to take myself out of the mistake spotlight and pivot over to you. In our July 27th, 2016 show, we talked about CEOs that were enormously successful in one business venture who were back at it trying to catch lightning in a bottle again. And we featured Tessero, NantQuest, Puma Biotech, and Opco Health. And in an effort to put you on the spot or give our readers a tidy conclusion, I asked you to pick your favorite. And so oh, here yeah. is here's a refresher of what you said. Up, we've talked about four different companies today: Tessero, NantQuest, Opco, and Puma. If you could only buy one of them, which would it be? Mm, that's a great question. I'm gonna have to go with Philip Frost and Opco Health. I mean, I, mainly because we have a pathway to profitability on that one. We know that they've got drugs that are already approved. We know that they're selling, uh, doing a lot of business uh, in the lab right now, in their lab business. Um, and we have a pretty good idea that they're going to be able to translate that into you know, shareholder profit in a relatively short period of time. So I, that would be the one that I would focus on if I were an investor today. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, you know, I could have picked Tesaro's Lonnie Mulder. You know, I mean, that's. Tesaro got uh, an approval for their PARP inhibitor, and sure enough, its shares have gone from you know 95 to a high of 180, and still trade around 120. That would have worked. I could have picked Puma, 
right? It got its approval of Neuralinks uh, recently. Its shares have gone from 49 to 80. But no, I, I settled with the safe play, uh, going with Philip Frost, Opco Health. And sure enough, its shares have uh, been flushed down the toilet bowl, if you will, uh, go falling from 10 to about 6, which is even more painful when you think about the fact that this has been one of the strongest periods for market returns in recent memory. So, <laughs> what did you learn from from this? Well, you know, it, there were reasons that I, I sided with and picked Philip Frost. You know, Philip Frost is a proven leader, and I love investing in companies with proven leaders. Rome wasn't built in a day, and Philip Frost has been starting successfully uh, running companies and then selling them since the 1970s, and he's one of the wealthiest healthcare entrepreneurs uh, in America. So, you know, I think that sidling up with next to him was not necessarily a mistake long term, but certainly a mistake short term. And I think that the short term mistake that I made was to fail to understand um, how much shares could fall if a couple key catalysts were either slow to develop or outright disappointed. And uh, and you want me to walk you through those catalysts, Christine? Yeah, there's been a handful of them over the past year or so since we talked about this. Do you want to start with maybe the the slow launch of Realty? Yeah, Realty is a is a, a very intriguing drug because it's a pro hormone for vitamin D that um, that works better than existing uh, vitamin D supplements that are given to patients with chronic kidney disease. That, um, that, that suffer from vitamin D insufficiency. And vitamin D insufficiency can cause uh, bone weak, calcium loss in bones, bone weakness, and all sorts of other problems. So it's an important indication, it's important to have treatment options available for it. Problem is that after Realdi launched, it did not have widespread early on in, uh, uh, inclusion in drug formularies at insurers. So the patient population that was covered by insurers available, you know, with that could that you know would pay for these drugs was pretty small. In sales, frankly, have been a rounding error and aren't even broken out in um, in in Opco Health's <coughs> results quarterly results yet. Um, perhaps, according to Philip Frost in the second quarter conference call, they'll start to break those numbers out for us in the fourth quarter of this year and. You know, there's opportunities there theoretically for Realdi to finally deliver on its promise. But Realdi wasn't the only disappointment. You also had Verubi, which is a, a drug that's approved for use in patients who are suffering from uh, vomiting and nausea after receiving chemotherapy. And that's a very important market. It's worth hundreds of millions of dollars of years uh, a year. And uh, Verubi is licensed by Tassara, which is Lonnie Mulder's company. So far, sales have been have been slow to grow. I mean, sales in the second quarter were only about 2.9 million, and with uh, Opco collecting double-digit royalties, again, a rounding error considering that the company is doing, you know, I think 300 million roughly in quarterly revenue because of its diagnostics business. And that wasn't even the only disappointment. Yeah, they they also came up shy in a very important trial that was evaluating their long-lasting human growth hormone treatment uh, in adults. They have a drug that is partnered up with Pfizer. A lot of people thought that if this drug you know, reached the market and eventually got approved for use in kids, pediatric use, then this could be a big, big moneymaker for Opco Health. Unfortunately, in December, 
Uh, they announced that the trial missed its mark. They haven't given up on the drug, um, but that trial was a failure. So overall, you have this confluence of disappointments over the course of the last 12 months that has really taken a toll on on the company's stock price. And you, you, you add that together with the fact that sales in the diagnostic business, which is basically the specialty lab that they run, uh, have pretty much flatlined at around 300 million, a little over 300 million. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been a lot of excitement or enthusiasm to drive up the market cap in this company. So clearly it's been a disappointing year for Opco shareholders. Where do you stand now going forward on it, Todd? Do you think it's like, uh, you know, looking back on it, I was wrong, this is a terrible company, investors should stay far away from it, or do you think that now, at the lower share price, there might be an even better opportunity for investors to scoop up some shares at a discounted price, because now, going forward, is where the real promise is, or something in between the two? It raises, There's a couple different takeaways, I guess, I have on this, this whole thing, right? I think that, yes, you stick with proven leaders. And yes, there's a lot of opportunity still ahead for Opco. I don't like buying uh, drug development stocks on sale as using the value argument, only because, as we saw last year, I mean, a lot can happen with clinical trials. So you can say, well, you know, there's all sorts of opportunity still in the pipeline, which there is, drugs that could get, a, you know, rack up lots of sales for this company over time. But those trials could fail. I mean, you have to take a look at it and say, okay, I'm not gonna buy it because solely it's cheap relative to where it was last year. Things happen, the, the outlook now changes. But I think that you can look at it and you can say, well, reality still could deliver on the goods. We'll know better early next year what that kind of, uh, the, the sales trend and prescription trend is for that. Verubi, which again is marketed by Tesaro, uh, there's a PDUFA date at the FDA that could approve an IV formulation. If that formulation gets approved, that opens up the vast majority of the marketplace for this type or this class of drugs. That theoretically could start meaningfully generate revenue in 2018. And there's a pediatric study ongoing in human growth hormone still uh, that reads out in 2019. And if that trial is good, then Pfizer and Opco will split the profits on both Opco's drug and Pfizer's existing drug in that indication, genotropin, which um, is selling at a clip of over $100 million per quarter. So there's still reasons beside value that you'd want to own Opco Health. And certainly, Philip Frost remains incredibly committed uh, as, a, as a shareholder uh, in this company. He continues and has continued to increase the number of shares he owns over the past year, even uh, in, in the face of all these disappointments. Some of the dates that you mentioned when you're running down your list of catalysts going forward are pretty far in the future. And that speaks to me about a bigger problem with investing in biotech, which is opportunity cost. Many of the stocks that look interesting today are likely to take a long time before they prove out. Something that regular listeners of the show have heard us talk about before is keeping an investing journal. And that is so important. So I'm going to say it again keep an investing journal specifically to combat the this type of mistake or, or looking at the mistake incorrectly when maybe it wasn't quite a mistake yet. 
is to write down exactly the dates that you're looking for. So the the PDUFA dates when the FDA might approve a drug, or a forecast for when you think that the company is finally going to turn profitable. Things like that, where if it's a date that's relevant to your investing thesis, you want to have it written down in front of you so that when that date comes and goes, you can reevaluate your thinking and figure out if indeed you were right. If, for example, your investing thesis for Opco had something to do with a PDUFA date that's years and years out, you want to know that and you want to be very aware of it for several reasons. One of which is that maybe it's not really the time to invest just yet. Maybe there are better places for your money now where you can get more validation sooner that you actually are placing your money in the proper place. And of course, we are long term investors here at The Fool, but in the short term, if you're going to look at a company that is declining over the course of one year and think, oh my gosh, I was wrong, I need to exit, but you're not actually waiting. For you are still waiting for a catalyst that's years in the future, then you're going to end up cutting yourself short, and you'll you'll never even see the potential gains that you're hoping to get in the very that's, beginning. That's a great point, Christine. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw another point out there too, which is that you know we've talked about in the show previously, especially in biotech, diversify, 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 right? I selected one stock out of these four, right? To be that fair, exposed- I, I made you do that. Yeah, well, that, that exposed us to a lot more risk, right? If we had just invested across all four of them, you would have done very well because of the success that we saw with Puma and with Tesaro. So I think diversification is always something that's very important across the space. Never put all your eggs in one basket hoping that you're going to hit a home run. Yep, and it's important not to beat yourself up too much about single mistakes because overall, if you're right 50% of the time, you're a really, really good stock picker. So, very Todd, good stock picker, and you'd be a great baseball player. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Todd, I, I am not going to beat you up too much about the Opco mistake, and I'll try not to beat myself up too much about getting the Rite Aid Walgreens merger information predicted incorrectly. And that'll do it. Hopefully, we can learn from these mistakes and move forward and be right at least 50% of the time, hopefully more. That is all for today's episode of Industry Focus and the healthcare edition of the We Said What theme week. Thanks so much for tuning in. If anyone listening has an investing lesson that they want to share with the team, feel free to reach out to us in the Motley Fool podcast group on Facebook or by email at industryfocus@fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!